This, my friends, is the GQ Style Podcast, Corporate Lunch. I'm Editor-in-Chief Will Welch, and I'm here with Noah Johnson, GQ Style Senior Editor. Noah, say something. Hello, Will. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Episode 5. What's up, buddy? Hi. Um, we're going to talk about fashion nostalgia today, get into some personal style history, I believe. This is a big topic. This is crucial. I, you know, this notion came to me because I was, um, as usual, I was surfing eBay the other night, mm-hmm. lying on the couch with the cats um in the ebay app and i was deep into some like very nostalgic uh country tour t-shirts dwight yoakam randy travis george jones i was getting involved and i was thinking back to um a time in elementary school where i was really into garth brooks like garth brooks was all (laughs) i cared about there have been you know there's like uh was this like everyone this was in atlanta right Atlanta GA. And this was many of your peers were also deeply into Garth Brooks or mostly No, man. You? I was dressing like a cowboy You're going to school mission. and people were, it was like a free for all. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I was wearing black cowboy boots and white jeans and Garth used to wear those like crazy color blocked cowboy shirts. Uh-huh. And they were actually, well, to me at the time uh, when I was in like fourth and fifth grade, really expensive. Yeah. Um, and so I couldn't get those, but I could just get bit, like a basic cowboy shirt. And then I also <laughs> didn't have the the rocks at that age to put on a, like a like a 10 gallon cowboy hat. Right. So there was no hat. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know. It was just, well, for, I guess for me, style always starts with music going all the way back to then. And but I remember being like, I'm perfectly happy to take my lumps in order to represent for the vision of myself that I have in my head. And and the vision I have in my head was created in large part by the album No Fences by Garth Brooks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you remember what you were wearing in fourth and fifth grade? Yeah, I was, that was the beginning of me being like considering myself a skateboarder, discovering that I am a skateboarder and then, and then going like all in full commitment to what I saw the slightly older skateboarders wearing and maybe just starting to get like Thrasher magazine, like picking so, it up at so CVS. Is there kind of a thing where you're, you're, is it like nine or 10 years old, 10 years old? Yeah, probably somewhere in that, in that like fourth, fifth, sixth grade where you are like, okay, I, I enjoy, I, I enjoy messing around on my skateboard. And then there's a transition to like, I'm a skater. I guess so. I, it's that. It's not that maybe when clear. The, maybe when the Thrasher subscription hits. Yeah, it's like, probably. It, no, it started even earlier than that. I remember in second grade seeing skateboarders and just being like, yeah, those are my people. That's what I'm going to do. Older dudes. Yeah. Right. And then, and then, so that, it, and that's like entirely about the fashion, at least initially, right? Like I never, I didn't know what it was like to do any of those tricks necessarily or didn't really understand it. But I saw and like got the look, you know. And it's like to uh, to to retroactively apply a contemporary term to uh, an old era. It was it's just like a vibe. Yeah. Like you could totally. kind of like I'm sure it was more about the look, but maybe it's not about the clothes. You're just more like those guys have the energy that I want. Yeah. And it wasn't like I didn't see like other like types of athlete dudes like ganging up together and hanging out. You yeah. Know, like the soccer team or whoever it was. You know, like there were like. It was just like that tribe was the tribe for me, and then um, where are we? Are we in Troy, New York? Yeah, upstate New York in you know the early like nineties. Shout out Troy. What's the Troy area code? Five one eight. Five one eight. Yeah, and so in the five one eight at the time, like anywhere you know, like it was just like super wide leg pants and jeans cut off, big tees, 
and then and then all types of accessories i was into like chain wallets and um you know a good bowl cut i grew my hair really long but it started with like a really good like center part bowl cut um hook i have a, hook I have a question about this when you when yeah. you like sort of begin to identify as a skater and and sort of hang with the skate crew is that um a noticeably alt move are you sort of like setting yourself aside from the like jock nerd hierarchy 100 percent. yeah yeah you're, you're like I, i'm that that hierarchy is in place and i'm left of it yeah and i would yeah. in fact say that like early on it's like that is an intentional or that is like an part of the intent in like going that direction like an anti-establishment whatever kind of like uh impulse right. directly brings you there and like you were saying like you were perfectly content to roll into school like looking like garth jr and just like take your lumps likewise i was just like so ready to to like take the heat from like the jocks and nerds and everybody else because in my opinion like not be the soccer captain yeah like boldly and outwardly 100 percent. so what uh what were the brands in the mix um well the shit what you really wanted were like blind jeans hookups t-shirt maybe airwalk sneakers this is like early on airwalk sneakers that didn't really last too long um and then is there when it really like when it really started to develop for me it was like dc sneakers and there was a company called drawers um but then it also kind of like started to cross over into like the big like mall brands that were kind of fresh at the moment so like tommy hilfiger and nautica right so the mall brands we know how you get those was there a skate shop was there like an outfitter for airwalk and blind and the, the skate brands well primarily and like i think thrasher mail order yeah it was mail order the main amazing like initial the, exposure was all catalogs noah johnson was was shopping e-com before there was e-com oh like so committed like, like packages in the mail from, from oh yeah from sixth grade and like every catalog you know um i still don't know if i've ever bought clothes in the mail except for ebay ccs was like the the primary one, but also just like the ads in the back of Thrasher, these like full page ads that were like illustrated sort of catalog drawings. You know, a lot of times it was like black and white and it would be like a line drawing of a shoe and a tee and a deck and stuff. And you're like, that's enough to get me there. Oh my God. I would just pour over these. It was mostly the sneakers and tees and decks. I mean, it was like everything. It was the gear. It was like down to bearings. I would just obsess. And then trucks. Yeah. Did I use that appropriately? Yeah, trucks I was really coming in, coming in hot with <laughs> trucks to see if I to see if you would flinch. Trucks are not yeah, all of it. And then I would just go through these catalogs, circle all the shit I wanted, obsess over like what color and what graphic, what brands I was wearing, like compare notes with friends. I probably went in harder than even my friends did and then wait for like a birthday or a holiday or to meet, like save up money and then get my dad to call with his credit card number I think and then you know I would like I had the cash, but like my dad would charge it so I could get the order. And then you would oh, wait. Yeah, because like, you need the credit card. Yeah, I didn't have it. Weeks. I, you'd wait you would wait weeks. weeks. Oh, it took so long for the packages to come. But that this is like, this is serious shit. This is the beginning. Um, do you remember where you were when you first heard Nirvana? Um, no, not specifically. All right, I went to this. I had a friend named Paul Fresky, and he was like cooler and tougher than me and listened to like really awesome aggressive music um and we went to this um 
I have really distinct memory of the Paul Frisky running out of the <laughs> the diner by his house, having uh, bought a pack of cigarettes in the vending machine. And I, <laughs> I really thought my mom was going to appear and send me to hell. <laughs> but he just came bursting out of that like in a full sprint. And I was like, oh, shit, he's holding a pack of camels. Like, we got to get out of here before the police come and send us to hell. Um, but anyway, Paul Frescue was super tough and cool. Uh, probably still is t- still super tough and cool. And um, he and I were going to some kid's birthday party, and it was at the California Pizza Kitchen at Lenox Mall in Atlanta. And he was like, yo, man, let's go to uh, Turtles Records and Tapes. I got to get this album. And he bought Nevermind. Mm-hmm. And then we went to his house and listened to it. And I was like, um, you know, scared and intrigued. Yeah. But so, uh, Troy, New York skaters, what are you guys listening to? Well, it was, God, so many, there's so many like threads and, and, and different levels, but in upstate New York, primarily there was a really strong local hardcore scene. Damn. So, and I mean like famously strong. Yeah. And, um, and it, it's, it went from like Syracuse where I think like snap cases from, and that's, western new york to to troy into like western massachusetts it was like this whole thing and how does this relate to long island hardcore it's pretty close yeah um but like the bands we were into were really local they were like from albany and there was this club called qe2 all ages yeah a lot of it was all ages. how straight edge or not straight edge was the scene it was pretty split yeah a bunch of my friends were super straight edge at the time it didn't last very long for most people but yeah it was pretty split I was never that sophisticated of like a hardcore fan. It was like I would go to the shows for, you know, the energy and because everyone went, but I was it really was kind of like about a style and a culture thing and like being a part of that. You know, I wasn't like really committed to like the music and to dancing and to like following the bands. Right. But it was just aligned with your personal brand. Yeah, basically. <laughs> because at the same time, like the rap music became super vital. Right. And it was mostly probably Wu Tang. So was Nas, that Mob more Deep. more personally? Is that what you were into? Like a deeper connection to the to the to the raps than I, the hardcore? Kind of, but everyone was really listening to both. And yeah. we'd like go to QE2 in Albany, which was the hardcore club, and like catch that whole vibe. And that was like everybody, you know, skinheads and straight edge kids and the whole thing. And then we'd be, you know, in downtown Troy at Night Owl News, which was like the pager shop. It was like a bodega grocery store that became like a pager shop that sold bootleg rap tees. Yes. And, you know, like fake, you know, all that like fake polo stuff, like polo club yeah, and, you know, fake Tommy Hilfiger stuff. And we would like hang out down there and then like catch that whole vibe. So it was all just, it just all blended together. Right. It wasn't really, and this is, I guess this is sort of a modern thing and I don't know if it was a new thing for the time, but we, we felt like me and the kids I hung out with and skated with were so comfortable just like going to a hardcore show and then going to like the pager shop and like buying bootleg rap tees it was right. all part of the same world yeah, yeah. In, in atlanta at the time i remember i first heard outcast from a, i played aau basketball you know like um uh, like traveling team basketball yeah and uh, uh there was there were a couple kids um who went to woodward academy which was in southwest atlanta on my team and i was travel i was going to a game with one of them and i heard outcast for the first time southern playlistic cadillac music Mm -hmm. and i was like what is happening (laughs) in my ears um and uh yeah but for me the the it was interesting it was like as much hip-hop as i was listening to i wasn't i wasn't dressing 
it changed everything in, in my whole life, yeah. including my, my brain, yeah. the way my brain is wired. Yeah. Um, but did not, I wasn't really trying to, trying to, I wasn't wearing rap tees. Yeah. It's interesting. I think I was always, people fall into sort of two camps here. Like I was always really eager to completely like adapt and take on a style that I observed, even just like if I observed it sort of casually from the outside, I was just like, yeah, I want my pants to look like that. Yeah. I want like Timberlands, you know, and I would just like, did you have wheat Tims? Yeah. Amazing. Definitely. Yeah. You had to have wheat Tims. <laughs> did, did i have weak tims <laughs> but like there were always a lot of people and friends of mine and, and maybe you were more in this camp who like were really not that flexible with their style like they weren't super willing to just like jump on a a trend not even a trend but just like a wave that yeah. was a thing whereas i was like really really quick to want to get down because that to me was just like how i was gonna directly express like my personal interest in brand as yeah. a 12 year old or whatever and like I immediately always wanted to go like full bore. Right. Well, what, what's interesting about Atlanta as it relates to, um, you know, being being a white kid listening to a lot of hip hop is uh, everybody in Atlanta is royal to is loyal to Ralph Lauren. Uh-huh. That's just like polo country. Yeah. And you know, like golf dads, mm-hmm. and um, and do do dudes uh, rolling around the mall. Yeah. Who who listen to hip hop and drive? You know stankin lankins and shit like that are all just wearing polo so in a way there it was like you didn't have to move left or right yeah uh, to participate you were just like born participating yeah you know why um, do you think polo uh i mean it was everywhere it that was a big upstate too but it sounds like it i was mean a, polo is big to this day in yeah. the south it yeah. just is like you know that southern prep thing yeah uh ralph um has always just been the definitive and kind of the standard of it yeah and so you know even now the polo store in in linux mall in atlanta is like uh two floors and wood everywhere Uh and you know the most ralph dudes yeah you can imagine work there um and it's like yeah it's the great unifying force in atlanta it was the same i remember that like a polo cap with the embroidered you know pony in all the colors yeah. that was like something anybody could wear i remember having yeah. a bunch and feeling like you could wear that to a hardcore show and be down or to like the skate po- yeah, park yeah that could be, be a skate hat or to you know like wherever you know it was like that was something that seemed super universal in a way for a certain sort of like margin like semi-countercultural movement you know yeah. and and you know part of the in, in atlanta it's uh yeah, that's it's the southern prep thing and uh you know loud colors have always been a part of prep and loud yeah. colors are are a part of hip hop especially in the south. And in a way what was what's the the reason that polo was so uh appealing to young black kids in Atlanta is it was like they were flipping southern prep that was everywhere yeah. and wearing it in a different way. Yeah. And then, you know, as a young white kid listening to hip hop, you I I had remember having double XL. I had a a canary yellow double XL polo you know a ralph polo shirt yeah with the with the with the pony and a baby blue one yeah you know so you would just like size up and suddenly you were kind of like you were like you know uh there, there was golf dad and uh yeah. and and hip-hop represented at the same time yeah i was definitely big there there this all led to like my sort of infatuation with like going to macy's and like digging through the like 
yeah, it was always Tommy Hilfiger, Nautica, and Polo. Yeah. Just digging through those sections. I couldn't really. This shit seemed so expensive. And were you wearing. Oh, so expensive. Yeah. And were you wearing it baggy? Yeah. Yeah. Baggy, like carpenter jeans with like a fleece, like a half zip fleece, and a polo tee. So <laughs> this is definitely getting like far afield, I would assume, anyway, from the like sixth grade territory, maybe even high school. But at what point does uh, an interest in style, a, a, a feeling for representing uh, the things that you're into and like <laughs> the, the personal brand before it was called a, a personal brand, yeah. at what point does like fashion start to be a relevant word? Because like, you know, everybody was getting dressed and worrying about their clothes yeah. and and. and either like trying not to get beat up or or daring people to beat them up and, yeah you know that's just how that's just what it means to go to high school in america yeah but at what point is there like a feeling for a fashion and potentially a fashion job not until after college really but i think that like it's a it's it was for me and probably for you and a lot of like people who are listening right now frankly there was just always that knowledge that like I was like a step above, <laughs> not even because I was superior. I was just more. You interested. were just shitting on people. I was just doing it better. Yeah. And I and like the reason it starts with like going through the CCS catalogs and then going to hardcore shows and then going to Macy's is because it like all came from the same place of just sort of like an obsession with how things are made, how things are used, how things are designed, what things look like, how I can gear. like yeah gear and how I can like kind of make it my own. So. The fashion thing came actually a long time later, but the first, like, the next step, this also may be true for a lot of people, was coming to New York in, like, you know, 2003-ish, so a little early on for, like, the the, men, the hashtag menswear wave, and buying a pair of APC jeans. Oh, man, absolutely. I got a pair of APC jeans, like, before most people got a pair of APC yeah. jeans. And people should know, they were already a thing. Like it is, Oh, yeah. Like, it, people had already been doing it for years, and, like, the kids working there already had, like, the perfectly I, faded there was a uh there was a store that was doing very well already on mercer street yeah. selling it it was just a matter of when you walked in yeah exactly. it wasn't like it didn't start when when we walked in um there was a uh you know i i have not um uh, i think i can be honest and say i've very rarely been dressed by girls in any capacity but there was a young lady who was like dude <laughs> You're gonna need to go to APC, and I was shocked and astounded at the price of the jeans. Yeah, I was shocked. I think my recollection is at the time they were one twenty. One twenty. It's exactly what they were, and, and it was like over a hundred dollars for jeans. Like I don't know. Yeah, it was pretty. And wild. you put them on, and they hurt. Yeah, they weren't. They were like a foreign <laughs> object. It was a whole new. It didn't in any way resemble the garment, but it, it did feel like a lifestyle shift, even in the moment. For sure. Like, I'm going to pay this much money, and, and then I'm going to, like, work to break these in. Yeah. And this is this is where I'm headed. And meanwhile, at the time, at least for me, like, men's style was in a really bad place kind of elsewhere. And I think I didn't really dig it. You know, like, there was a lot of, like, that premium denim wave of kind of, like, boot-cut low-rise jeans with embroidered back pockets. Yeah. That I was Yeah, not there was feeling. a sense of, like, looking for something and not knowing... Where, yeah. where what exactly to do with that feeling and i think i was coming out of a place like college was kind of murky i don't know where i was at i had probably stopped wearing things like echo by that time but there was a moment stopped meaning you had started meaning yeah yeah, yeah. definitely like in early college in yeah like i would come to the city and go to like yellow rat bastard oh uh, yeah um, okay i got and it and kind of pick up like the it's kind of hip-hop brands that seemed cool and Nietzsche and, and echo were definitely two of those and mix those in with 
Triple Five? Definitely, yeah. Definitely. Triple Five Soul for sure. They had an outlet in Williamsburg, like yeah. way early back Williamsburg days. And so I remember going into Yellow Rat Bastard and being like, sort of re- like going in open minded and being like, oh, cool, this isn't for me. And yeah. <laughs> there was like a palpable relief yeah. that like I didn't I didn't have to try to get there. And that was a weird. Th- and that store had like like rave cl- like raver type oh, shit yeah. in it, and then a lot of like kind of rap brands in it, and sort of some skate stuff. And I think I was having some sort of identity crisis where I like wasn't really sure which fully which direction I was going to go right at that moment. Yeah. Because it, it wasn't like just, I don't know, the skate stuff got kind of bad and weird and just like really baggy and kind of trashy and tube sloppy. It feels awesome to know that there's an, like if you had, if you had zigged instead of zagged in that moment, you might be like <laughs> head to toe Rick Owens right now with like some white pancake makeup and like a whole different setup. Yeah. The, it could have been dark fashion Noah. Just like a different rack at the same yeah. YRB. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't that it wasn't that wasn't like too influential for me. I just think like in the college years, like no money, no real direction. I don't know. I wasn't really on the internet that much because things were, you know, you're just doing other shit. Yeah. So I guess coming, I'm what I'm saying is coming out of that, coming to New York, and then going to APC and buying those jeans was like okay, yeah. here's the direction, you know. And the jeans still didn't feel like fashion to me. That did feel like gear. That felt like yeah. an extension Agreed. of like all the other shit I was into. I was heavy into snowboarding at the time. And was like really got into like the nitty gritty of like how those things were made and designed and what I was wearing there. And so the buying those jeans were like, yeah, it was like an investment and it was totally like a, like a, like gear or something else. It still didn't register to me as like a real fashion move. Right. I think part of the reason that the, um, that the, the, the echo oh, access was never on the radar for me as junior year in college. I, I went to London for six months mm-hmm. and it was during, it was at the peak of strokes mania. Oh, yeah. Strokes mania peaked in London yeah. for sure. And, um, the dudes I was hanging out with were like from the English countryside and, uh, they would wear like jeans and brogues and like plaid shirts and ties and, yeah. and like skinny corduroy jackets and, awesome. and look like, like kind of, like rumpled English school grown overgrown schoolboys and like yeah. um, drink shit tons of shitty beer and uh, I went to uh, the Strokes show at Brixton Academy with my friend Phil um, and that that sort of like somehow dovetailed with my like Southern prep thing mm-hmm. and I was like oh there's a way to kind of like to to dress like rock and roll yeah. and, and maybe have some ties at the same time. That's so cool. So you got like some decent exposure to good style, even if it was yeah. kind of messy and Well, I, I, I specifically remember like being like, Wow, I, I had some baggy jeans and a oversized Carhartt hoodie. Mm-hmm. So I'd wear like a, a big an oversized an XL T shirt, some baggy jeans and a Carhartt hoodie. Yeah. Good and, luck. The, and these dudes were in like like you know, they looked like the Strokes or something, yeah. the British Strokes, and yeah. I was like, "Shit, man, these guys are doing something." Yeah, and I'm like, um, you know, like have lis- look like I've listened to one too many Eminem songs, which isn't <laughs> even my vibe. So I realized that my my personal brand was fucked. Yeah, and that was awesome because I had like tools from growing up in Atlanta to yeah to kind of like do an American version of it. And then did you another thing that happened for me around this time was just discovering like good thrift stores. Yeah. And then I had a good knack for kind of digging through the racks yeah. and finding shit that I could afford that fit the vibe. It sounds like that's like a little in that direction. Yeah. I mean, Value Village was, was like life-saving in Atlanta. And then I would go with these kids in London. And I bought a couple leather jackets there. 
yeah. and like some skinny plaid shirts yeah and some jeans that weren't baggy yeah and suddenly it was like things were things were coming together a little bit yeah i remember that i remember a moment i was in boulder and uh all the snowboarders started wearing really tight jeans and a lot of them were wearing women's jeans because they had they weren't really making like skinny jeans for yeah. dudes at the time so dudes would get these like dark like women's jeans with like stretch in them so they could have that like really fitted see that's advanced and that is awesome um punk you know it was like a punk thing trying yeah. to sort of like emulate this like a kind of a glam punk look glam punk snowboard vibe yeah the, you know the band rad. the faint of course people were super into like dancey yeah. punk pop, pop from omaha electro punk type of shit that was a real moment i kind of i kind of dodged that one pretty good so noah you obviously spent a couple of years working at complex magazine yeah how did you fit in with the intense sneaker culture there and like you know co-workers who presumably cut their arms open and bleed rare jordans yeah it was I was not like that high level of a sneakerhead, although I was obsessed with sneakers, mostly like skate shoes and sneakers I thought were cool. Yep. The the world of like Jordans and Air Maxes, this is like long before Yeezys even was a word anyone would have said. Um, but I was really into it. I was not the expert. You know, Russ Bankston was there. He's still there. He is the all-time sneaker expert, in my opinion. Um, there were a lot of people there that really knew their shit. But most importantly, it was just this world of like acceptance or like interest in style and design and fashion in a way that was like kind of like product first. Yep. And right. which was very much in line with like my interests. I think it's sort of generational. I think it's still in the air. It's still is what's, you know, it, maybe it's sort of why Gucci's having so much success or why right. Vetmont has sort of captivated the culture of a certain age, because I really think the stories we're telling about identifying with sort of products and on the that product level is like still really relevant yeah you know and whereas like there were other generations where it was this sort of like look it was sort of a head-to-toe look yeah you're always trying to go for and that was never really where i was at and but that is kind of more what we do at gq style it is yeah. yeah i think it you know it all sort of like comes together at a point. Like this is this is a vibe based fashion magazine, yeah. not a product and gear based fashion magazine. Yeah, wouldn't you say? I'm, yes. This is an open conversation. You know, I can't say the wrong thing, or I'm going to get ejected from the podcast. Studio. <laughs> <laughs> Hit the button. Um, I, in my mind, I still think about things on a like a product level. It, we are not we. What we do is not gear, and it is entirely about vibes. Um, but I, I guess when I dig deep back into the archives, the personal archives, it sort of started from a place of obsession on right. a, on a gear and product level. And thankfully, or at least like, you know, it, it really interests me that that sort of led me to like be open and accepting of fa capital F fashion and like, you know, what's on runways or what, how designers put together looks and all that shit. Yeah. And I think the fact that uh, you do have that background and maybe think that way first is like an interesting balancing um, aspect to, to your role at GQ Style versus like Mobilaji who, you know, doesn't know the name of the products. He just looks yeah, at Yeah, He totally. doesn't even know who made what and he doesn't care. That's right. Yeah. Different approach. Yeah. I'm a label whore. Mobilaji is a, just a completely <laughs> vibe queen. Vibe queen. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, Sam! Can we trademark all that, please? We're gonna we're gonna need to use all that in the future. Thank you. Similarly, you kicked things off in a major way at the Fader Fader magazine, two thousand three to two thousand seven, which I always thought was the coolest fucking magazine. Even you know, Complex and Fader were sort of 
neck and neck a little bit, but I, Fader was indier and sort of hipper in my opinion. Complex always had sort of more of a mass aspiration, but anyway. I, I but I think you already put your your finger on it. it was like comp- Complex was like looking at gear first, yeah, and covering music as like a vehicle for gear, yeah, which I think is super cool, but also like totally distinct from what we were doing at the Fader. Yeah, when did Fader was like exploration of subcultures? I, I now know that looking back, I yeah. don't know if I quite thought about it that way then. And how important was style at the time, or how was your style developing? Like as you were doing that, or was it just music, music, music? It was music first and style as a uh, as an expression of musical interest. Yeah. Um, I have a few specific style memories from the Fader. One day I showed up um, wearing all white, mm-hmm. and everybody was like, "This is this is a, this is an interesting window, I guess, into the into the vibe of the Fader." I showed up wearing like white khakis and a white T-shirt and some white. Uh, bucks maybe uh-huh. and everyone was like talking about Caetano Veloso uh-huh. the like Brazilian Tropicalia master you know what I mean <laughs> and I was like sweet I didn't know that that's what was gonna come back when I rolled that's in so specific when I rolled in in this like ultra ultra white fit no one just said you look like you're about to paint a house or something like that no the reference yeah. went no, deeper. Sh- yeah straight to 60s <laughs> like Tropicalia um in Brazil and so that you know I've really felt at home in that the other really specific style memory i have is one day i looked like down at what i was wearing and i had gotten all of it for free yeah as a result of being like a low level (laughs) music editor yeah that was crucial these were not quality threads and i was like if i continue like this i'm gonna lose any sense of myself (laughs) and any sense of my style and i kind of like um got got off wearing free shit yeah this is why i have a rule but, you don't wear free shit but I ha- it's yeah, never good yeah it's never good and i but i really had no money at all at yeah. the time yeah and it was like hard to know how to get a get a new pair of pants that like, was a real, real. thing yeah. and if, if for me at the time like to be honest if, if it was either gonna be like beer or gear i was beer yeah a hundred every time a hundred thousand times out of a hundred so there is um this I'm gonna go back to a quote I think we've already talked about, but from Diplo in that story we did in the fall issue. Yeah, he's talking about the Holotronics parties, which was yes. you know a, a Philly-based event, a major cultural event where it's kind of I don't know where how Diplo really made his name, but um, and it came to New York a couple times at it least did, once yeah. or. But we used to go to Philly heavy. It was like people the most exciting night of the year make a pilgrimage for it absolutely the thing diplo says this in the interview with you in the issue but he's like there was what does he say there was no fashion there yeah no nobody was wearing fashion it was like style and that's like a really cool and interesting way to think about that moment that was you know just 10 years ago how far back yeah uh yeah and probably like i don't know how many kids were in that club 600 kids yeah and there probably wasn't one thread of european fashion <laughs> seriously but there's massive. Like not one person wearing gucci not one yeah. person wearing saint laurent not, yeah. like zero 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 and if you imagine if you go to like the sexiest party in any city right now there's a lot of that yeah and it, it's true like i think you uh when you read the first draft of that piece you like called that um statement out and yeah. i remembered him saying it and thinking it was cool but it, it was like it was only when you pointed out that it was clear to me about how big of a shift there's been and how uh, clear of a sign that is in the in the shift in, in the role that fashion plays yeah. in the culture. It's just way more involved. Crazy. And in a really short period of time. I mean, that comment really struck me because I hadn't thought of it. And then I was just like, holy shit, it's true. Like, pe- the, the, the big European brands and designers 
especially for dudes, just were not really on the radar. I mean, they're, no, you know, absolutely not. And, you know, the credits were still there in magazines and stuff, I'm sure, but it just wasn't, you know, if we were all on Twitter at that time, it, it's just not what we would that, have been. That was, a di- that was a different culture. Like, you weren't listening to like cutting edge music and going to underground parties in Philly and interested in fashion. Yeah. Those were two separate subcultures yeah. at the time. Yeah. Clearly, people were buying fashion then. Um, before we get into 13 Vibes, I got one more question for you. Let's do it. Obviously, we've been talking about like different eras in our personal style and yeah. like kind of trying on different personalities as a result of fashion and that kind of thing. Um, do, are you now like Noah Johnson and it's all settled? Or will you, 10, 15, 20 years from now, will you be able to look back to like 2017 and identify a moment and style that was temporary? Um. Yeah, Are we I think any the different latter. from, our, God, from ho- our junior high selves? I hope it's not all settled. I think there's like this notion for a lot of like dudes and probably like men's style editors that like it's it's all about developing this like eternal personal style that you will just kind of like at some point, I don't know when it will click yeah. and then that will be you yeah. forever. Right. And that is just not at all. Yeah. What's interesting <laughs> to me as you're saying that i'm like <laughs> that sounds like the moment where you begin to die <laughs> <laughs> um that being said like yeah as you go you pick up new things new tricks new styles yeah that's crazy man i don't and stuff comes and goes and i yeah. i don't care how old i am i hope i'm participating on some level yeah i do like the idea and this is also a thing that's come up on the pod before but the idea of like repeating outfits with large spans of time in between yeah. shout out to princess die friend of the pod yeah big time and i i think that there's definitely like that's a real thing like having something that's been in your closet for 10 or 15 or 20 years or more that is that matters to me and like of all the times you edit your closet through those 15 years it always holds its place yeah exactly but i do not i have, i have no shame and i am i'm never like worried about oh looking back and being so embarrassed that i wore that like that shit doesn't concern me you are uh remarkably shame free i think it's i think it's one of the many one of the many great side effects of your confidence yeah well I mean, what other way is there to be? You can't you can't live in fear of your past. I'm really into toasting Noah Johnson this week. That's an on, <laughs> that's an ongoing theme of this week. Cheers to you, Noah Johnson. Thank you. Uh, let's get into 13 vibes. The best part, the dessert, if the, you will. The not fast lightning round, <laughs> whereby we identify random shit. Will that always we like. says after this. Oh man, we gotta do vibes faster. We next really time. gotta quicken up 13 <laughs> and vibes. Every time, I think it goes a little slower. I mean, even with this preamble, we're slowing it down. It is it is the best part though. We could savor it. Let's get into it. I would like you to kick it off if you would. Uh, Keeping in line with what we're talking about, I wore boots for the first time this week since winter. I wore boots yesterday. How did it feel? It felt great. I recently got new boots. They're lightweight, but they're boots. And it was 80 degrees out. I thought that might feel weird. It didn't. So I'm just encouraging people to break out the boots like whenever you're ready. They're a lace-up boot. Made by Trickers for Engineer Garments. Kind of a chunkier lace-up boot in navy blue leather. They're really dope. I've seen them. Thanks. Um, I'm going to uh, – I'll jump off that vibe with my own boot vibe. Um, I'm kind of like continuing Clark's Desert boots into the fall. Yeah. And I've just been thinking a lot as I try to figure out, like, what the hell I'm going to be wearing this fall. I've just been thinking about my ongoing loyalty to, like, the um, – you could call them basic brands, but basic has a pejorative – vibe to it right um just stalwart mm-hmm. classic brands levi's clark's gildan 
you know. <laughs> is the idea that you hang up the desert boots when you get too late into fall, like they don't make it into winter? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like a crepe sole isn't going to serve you well when yeah. it's like weathery and cold. Yeah. And um, uh, but I'm rocking with them right now. Um, my next vibe is Dime Skateboards from Montreal. And they're a vibe right now because this is vibe number three. I'm going to try to keep count. They're a vibe right now because they just had this big event called the Dime Glory Challenge, which is super awesome and fun skate contest. And you can watch the video now on Thrasher. But um, people know Dime for their, they like a, have a logo that looks like a rip of the Dior. Yeah. It's like the Dior font and those like t shirts. People know cool. it from Jonah Hill. Yeah. Jonah Hill wears it. <laughs> friend of the pod, Jonah Hill. Dime is just a dope brand. I think people should buy and wear their stuff and also just pay attention to what they're doing. They're like a ragtag crew from Montreal that kind of have no business being the hottest shit in skateboarding right now because Montreal is ice cold most of the year. But they are, and they're killing it, and they're just one to watch. Follow them on Instagram. They have really good tricks in their Instagram stories. Are the actual skate decks good, or is it more about more about the gear? There's no decks yet. It's mostly no the decks. gear. Yeah. Um, for me, number four is the L.A. artist Danny Fox. Yeah, he's cool. Uh, Danny is in the current issue of GQ Style, the fall issue with the Z's on the cover. And um, his work is just like really affecting. Um, it affects you deeply. Mm. Um, and he's just, uh, he's a really interesting dude. And so I just have been thinking about his stuff a lot. I would love to have a painting one day and um, check it out in the What to Wear Now section. Where's Danny Fox from? GQ Style. Uh, he's from a, a small town in outside of London in England, but he lives in downtown L.A. That brings us to vibe number five. Let's go. PG Tips. You know what wow, that is? of course. English black tea. That's why I asked. I knew where Danny Fox is from, by the way. <laughs> you, was this was a all a setup? Yeah. Man, I'm not a pawn in your vibe <laughs> game, all right? PG Tips is from like- From now a, on, I want real questions only. <laughs> PG Tips is a really um, cheap, like working class black tea that um, some English people put me onto once, and it's good. It's strong stuff. It brews really fast. It's it's almost hot tea time, and um, I I put a little milk and sugar in it, but I I don't know if everyone needs to do that. But I recommend getting yourself a box of PG kit tips and keeping it at your desk or whatever. Uh, I'm gonna go to uh, to Nigeria for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, we just shot in Nigeria, uh, and. Mobilaji, our fashion director, has been putting me up on a bunch of Nigerian pop music, and as was Diplo, actually, when we were in Uganda and Ethiopia. He had just come from Lagos, and we were talking about the music scene there. And uh, it's fun to talk about. It's fun to print magazine stories about it, but you really got to hear this stuff. So uh, my vibe is Nigerian Afropop, the artist's techno, Mm -hmm. T-E-K-N-O, Wizkid, who's the most well-known because of his Drake collabs. Right. Mr. Easy, who has a jam called Legover, that is incredible, and then Devito. Devito's the biggest of them all on the pop, on, on the pop tip in in, in Nigeria right now. Seems but like, like th- actually listen to this shit; it'll blow your mind. Yeah, and make you move your butt. And will likely be what people are listening to heavily around the world in 2018. You will know where Drake got passion fruit and all that stuff. Yeah, it's not from Jamaica. Um, I'm going to shout out another uh, piece of skate content for vibe number seven. Um, What's next? Cactus shit? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty predictable. It's true. I'm into it. Um, Epically Latered is back, which is a documentary series Whoa. by this guy, Patrick O'Dell, and it's on Vice now, where he does these mini documentaries about pro skaters. And the first ep, which is out, was with Bam Margera, who obviously is um, sort of a larger-than-life character, and he has a very sad sort of story 
mostly having to do with the death of his best friend Ryan Dunn and kind of what happened after that, the dark stuff that that led to. But um, the next two are with Heath Kirchhart, who is one of the greatest skateboarders of all time, which I can't wait to see, and then Spike Jones, which I think it'll be cool to see how Spike went from sort of skate rat to world-famous movie maker. But Epically Later's back. You it, should watch it. It makes me feel good that in a podcast where we've been talking quite a bit about the early 2000s, you just told me that Epically Later is back. <laughs> Shout out to Pat O'Dell. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm going with GQ Styles new architecture video series, Amazing Spaces. I understand that it might sound like gimmicks or self-promotional mm-hmm. to be talking about a, a new GQ style program as of one plug. of my vibes, mm-hmm. a bit of a plug. But the truth is, like, we spend a lot of our time here doing work and working on GQ style. And this is, uh, an actual vibe that we have been cultivating. Yeah. So, uh, we're about to put up episode two of Amazing Spaces. And it was shot at the Mies van der Rohe campus at the Chicago, at the Illinois Institute of Technology in Chicago. And um, check it out, man. When's it I, out? I think, it, I, think it's a, I think it's a real vibe. Next week. I have not seen this yet, but I can't wait. It, it's a good one. Um, vibe number nine, I'm going to go back to footwear. And I'm going to let loose a little secret right now. Converse one stars. Man, that's the shoe. That's the sneaker to wear yeah. right now. Noah Johnson and Tyler, the creator, agree. He did just do a little collection of them. I had that little when I saw it. I had that pang where I was like, "Fuck, man!" Like, I've been rocking these, and did Tyler just like blow the whole spot? Like, is this? A I rap? think it's gonna be okay, man. I think it's all right. Partly because the ones he put out are really good. They're like in candy colors. I think sort of. I, I know that feeling well, but it, you know, you gotta power through it. You gotta power through it, and yeah. it always turns out okay. Yeah. Um, staying in the music zone, I'm going with, this is like recent vintage, but Frank Ocean's verse on Raph, mm-hmm. the ASAP Mob song. Uh-huh. All right. So this is a little hard for me to admit, but, um, there's so <laughs> much going on in that verse, which happens in like three movements that I was like, you know what? I'm going to just suck it up and I'm going to go on genius uh-huh. and I'm going <laughs> to read. Sometimes you got to go I'm on gonna, genius. I did it. No, I really, it was hard for me to do, but I really did it. And I, I read the annotated <laughs> version of Frank Ocean's Raph verse, uh-huh. and as I sort of had suspected, it is packed with so much more stuff, including Noah Johnson. I thought of you because there is a major Sterling Ruby shout out. Oh, tuck, really? Tucked in there. I don't even All see. Right. I didn't even know that. See, um, Frank Ocean, man. I think they, it could be possible that like 50 years from now, mm-hmm. when we're talking about this year and music, Frank is like right at the top. Wow, I hope so. What do you got? I would trust your judgment on that. The next vibe, the great American state of Maine. Dude, I'm so with you. I'll let you flesh it out a little bit, but I'm already in. I could. We could do a whole ep on Maine, and maybe we should. Let's get Jay Carroll in here and do do a Maine ep. Just do a Maine ep. But right now, the quick and dirty is just that. Like, first of all, this was like the year everyone went to Maine. I know you were recently in Maine, but like Maine, Maine was all over my feeds this summer. I was deeply jealous. I did not go to Maine this summer. Um, but you could just tell it's where the vibe is. I just knew it. My roots are there. I grew up going to Maine every year. My family's from Maine. Um, it's just beautiful. I want to go this fall. I don't know where I'm going to wear exactly. I typically go to like Southern coastal Maine. I might go up into like Arcadia national park, might visit some lakes, might do a little hiking. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to get to Maine this fall and just, and just take in that fresh, sweet Maine air. I traditionally go to Vermont. I have family in Vermont. My wife and I spend a lot of time there. Um, and then, but I also love the ocean. Yeah. And then we went to Maine, and it's like Vermont with the ocean plus ocean Ugh. equals expansiveness. I want to get out into those into those islands, maybe Shabig. 
I feel like I, this could be like I don't know. I may need a late pass here, um, but I've been talking in each in each thirteen vibes. I've done a podcast, but this time I'm going with the Headspace app. Um, I have a thirty five minute train ride every morning mm-hmm. to get here to One World Trade Center, and uh, most mornings I do a ten minute Headspace session, which is the mindfulness app. Okay. They seem to weirdly avoid the word meditation, which I think is interesting. I would like to know why that is like taboo for them or somehow limiting their like their scale potential. Uh, but it's basically a meditation app narrated by this British guy who soothes. Mm-hmm. Andy. Andy soothes. Shout out, shout out to Andy, friend of the pod. One-way friend, Heavy. but friend of the pod. He, It's effective, this app. Like you, It puts you in a place. It prepares you mentally for the day. Yeah. yeah. And I find the, the, the meditations are like basic enough that mm-hmm. you can be on a, on a crowded uh, Metro North train and kind of like sink in. Um, I think that brings us to our last and 13th vibe. Bring us home, Noah Johnson. Regular-ass restaurants. Oh, man, dude, I'm so with you. Wow. <laughs> I just want to eat at a regular-ass dude, restaurant. Dude, man, just give me some food. I don't care who your chef is or where the produce came from. Yeah. I don't want to wait in line. Yeah. I don't care how- I'm not on opentable.com. <laughs> like, I'm not. Do you have profiles on Open Table? I'm not on Open nah, Table. No, no, no. Okay. Um. We were I it partly inspired by walking through the West Village last night, which I never really do, and, and realizing that there's still some regular-ass restaurants sort of tucked into the nooks and crannies there. Not everything is artisanal. Not everything is, like, some new wave, like, movement that just, like, you know, started in Taiwan last year and just reached, you know. It, Got reinterpreted yeah. by a French-Canadian. <laughs> I mean, shout-out to French-Canada, yeah. but. But, you know. People used to just eat at regular ass restaurants, so I'm just hoping we can go back to that a little bit. I still want the good shit. Come on, I still want to like. I mean, I'd we still went, want that new tasting menu. At we the went to the spot, great. But. We went to the great New York, one of the great New York regular ass restaurants last night. Yeah, Arturo's. Arturo's coal oven pizza. Food was delicious. Mm-hmm. Nine of us. The crowd was happy. Yeah, and the bill was reasonable. It worked. That's it, guys. Corporate. 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 For a regular ass lunch at a regular ass restaurant. We'll see you next week. Another one in the books. See you next time.